now the podcast starts. Hello, dear listener. This is T.D. Velasquez, but as always, you can call me Dan, and welcome to the podcast on which we mostly talk about horror. Occasionally, we talk about other things, and often, we swear. Now, there's been a little change to our planned schedule of episodes of late. Um, I think you'll be aware if you've seen our Twitter posts or read our, our text on the podcast hosting site that we were hoping to do an episode about Midnight Mass um, in the near future. Um, that's going to be postponed a little bit. The plan for this week was that Stella would join me to introduce the topic of today's episode. Um, but Stella has very sadly had some bad news um, in the last week or so. Um, I don't feel that it's my business to reveal it, but um, I do think it needs to be said that Stella's going to be stepping away from the podcast for a short time, and we will come to the Midnight Mass episode upon her return. In the meantime, though, you are going to be hearing her voice in this episode. We were originally going to be introducing this recording of a chat about Roman Polanski's 1968 horror classic, Rosemary's Baby. This was recorded um, nearly a year and a half ago. Um, Unfortunately, the recording, which was a chat between myself, Stella and Ian Winterton, was cut off before the ending. So we always um, intended to come back to it and finish it off um, and we'd left it on the shelf. Um, Given the current circumstances, we're pressing it into service even though the conversation is broken off at the end. I will be back at the end, present day me that is, to fill in the missing part of the conversation. Luckily, we had recorded pretty much the whole of the specific discussion about Rosemary's Baby when the recording was interrupted, we were going to go on to discuss the somewhat problematic and troubling nature of Roman Polanski's real-life misdeeds and how this would affect our view of his work in general. Um, But that's where the interruption happened and that's where I'll come back in at the end. Um, But for the most part, the discussion is a complete one. Um, So just to segue into that recording, here is a clip from the movie. We usually play a trailer for the film, but the trailer for Rosemary's Baby is particularly visual and wouldn't work really with sound only. So instead we have this clip in which Rosemary Woodhouse, played by Mia Farrow, and her husband Guy, played by John Cassavetes, are hosting their friend Hutch, played by Morris Evans, in their new flat in the Bramford apartment building in New York City and he tells them of the sinister history of the building and this scene gives you an idea of the characters in the movie but also a flavour of the kind of irreverent and subversive attitude that it takes to setting up horror film kind of cliches and then undercutting them and going in a different direction. Following this clip, you'll hear myself speak with writer and critic Ian Winterton and film and television historian and lecturer 
Dr. Stella Gaynor about Rosemary's Baby. But the first thing you'll hear is a little of composer Christoph Kabida's wonderfully distinctive and eerie theme music from the movie. the management that you were drug addicts and litter bugs. Instead, I decided to lie and tell them you were wonderful, Terrence. Ah, oh, you're great, Hutch. Wish I could talk you out of it, though. He's pulling your leg raw, honey. Geez, I'm not. Now, that looks great. That is Are you great. aware that the Bramford had rather an unpleasant reputation around the turn of the century? It's where the Trench sisters conducted their little dietary experiments. And Keith Kennedy held his parties. Adrian Mercado lived there, too. So did Pearl Who were the Trench sisters? The Trench sisters were two proper Victorian ladies. They cooked and ate several young children, including a niece. Oh, lovely. Adrian Mercado practiced witchcraft. He made quite a splash in the 90s by announcing that he'd conjured up the living devil. Apparently, people believed him, so they attacked and nearly killed him in the lobby of the Branford. You're joking. Later, the Keith Kennedy business began, and by the 20s, the house was half empty. I, I knew about Keith Kennedy. I didn't know that Marcado lived there. And those sisters. World War II filled the house up again. Terrific. <laughs> the house? The lamb. <laughs> they called it Black Branford. But hot. Awful things happen in every apartment house. Now, this house has a high incident on pleasant happenings. In 59, a dead infant was found wrapped in newspaper in the basement. Mmm, you really roused my appetite. Have some more wine. So I'm here with Stella and Ian, and we've all just rewatched Rosemary's Baby for the first time in several years, twenty odd years in my case. Yeah. How about you, Stella? Um, I honestly couldn't put a figure on how long it's been. It's been that long. Maybe I've seen a bit of it when it's happened to have been on telly in the past, you know, ten, twenty years. But when I last sat down and watched it as a full film. I honestly don't know. Really don't know. So 20 years plus, I reckon. Right. Yeah. How about you, Ian? Uh, similarly, I, I, I'm I, wondering if I'd even seen it all the way through before. I guess I must have done. Cause mm. I can't imagine sitting down and not finishing it. But I was probably at university when I was going through my... When you go through your watch everything that you're sort of told to watch by your film studies person. Yeah. And I probably haven't. I maybe have seen it on and off 
on TV. But I, yeah, so probably 25 years. Yeah. So probably yeah. so that. So as I was saying off mic, it was. Uh, it feels like it feels like I was almost watching it properly for the first time. Yeah, to be I, honest, right. I'd agree with that. Lots well. of knowledge, like obviously loads of the shots and the plot. I knew all that off by heart. Yeah. So it wasn't like a completely virgin viewing of it. But in terms of me as a person, I don't think I've really watched it before. Yeah, same. Right. Because I don't remember I don't remember really watching it and having a reaction like I've had a reaction now, yeah. nearly fifty years old watching it. Right. When did you see well, it, Dan? Funnily enough, I, I had a similar experience to you guys in that I I can't remember. I couldn't remember hardly anything about the film, but I am fairly specific. I think I saw it in '98, certainly during the time that that uh, we were at Sixth Form College, which was '97 to '99. Yeah. Um, and there was one bit of it that that felt kind of very familiar, recognisably so, which is where Rosemary says, "This is no dream. This is really happening." Yeah. But yeah. I think I, I think that clip has appeared in horror films that I've seen more recently. Like also that's seen... also that's that's the clip that's the clip that gets shown a lot mm. on sure. on like Mark Kermode, you know yeah, when you watch yeah. when you're watching documentaries about great horror movies. Mm. That's kind of the because that's a line that's loaded. Yeah. This is no dream. That speaks about the movie as much as the. As much yeah, as yeah, yeah. You know, it's that clip it's... that's always shown, and the one where she walks into the room and she's got the knife in her hand, and everyone turns around to stop, and the camera's behind yeah. her. That's the other one that's always shown in commode esque type things, yeah. isn't it? Wow. So yeah, loads yeah, of it was yeah. really familiar when I watched it yesterday and today. I watched it in two halves, uh, but it, but loads of it still felt really new. There's just so many things that I just didn't see when I watched it. The first time, when I did watch it the first time, I was a kid, probably too young to be watching it. I would imagine under 10, 9, 10 years old that I watched it. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, so, you know, thanks, Mum. And I <laughs> I remember I remember the the devil stuff and the, you know, the, the poison baby stuff and Rosemary feeling sick throughout her pregnancy and I remember her pain and I remember... Her being all right with the devil baby at the end, <laughs> but that's that's it. I just I just saw all all the the devil baby stuff. I didn't I didn't see any of the other surrounding gender politics or religious stuff that just passed me by when I was a kid, which is you know understandable. I was a kid. <laughs> um, yeah, well, as far as I can tell, it passed me by when I was nineteen. So. <laughs> <laughs> which is why watching it again is last last couple of days. It's definitely felt. You know, almost like a new a new film again. So it's been enjoyable to watch it back. It's a brilliant yeah. film, isn't it? I know. Yeah. I know this is almost. It's one of those films that really is fresh and fast, even though it's a slow burn. Mm. It's actually a really <laughs> slick, fast watch, isn't it? Yeah. Well, apart from a couple of details, which I think we'll come to, I can't think of much in it that felt like it wasn't necessary. Um, mm. You know, it's everything feels contributing to the to the overall build. Although there are a couple of odd moments, but Ian, you suggested we watch this, so let's start mm. the conversation off with you. What was it that made you want to suggest us watch this film? Is it because you kind of half remembered watching it a long time ago and just wanted to go back to it? 
I guess like one of the best things about watching this, about doing this podcast, is genuinely watching stuff. And Rosemary's Baby is one of those ones that I've technically watched it, and I could probably have talked about it before, but I've never, like we were just saying, it's almost like I haven't seen it because mm-hmm. I'm a totally different person to the person that did watch it, and I probably wasn't paying attention. Probably just had a. Oh, my main memories of it are of the rape scene and the sort yeah. of general general montage of that, the sort of horror, the horror of that. Um, and, and, and obviously I didn't, I just don't, I've got no awareness of whether I was, you know, picking up on any sexism or, or, you know, the, any of the other things we're going to discuss. I don't think I was analyzing it in any way whenever I did watch it. So it's almost like I might as well not have watched it because, because now I'm, now I've, now it's such a rich film, isn't it? Like it's got, it's got so much in it. Um, and, and not just because of its legacy. It's almost it's almost like the only negative things about it are because of its legacy. Because maybe it seems a bit hokey now. Like occasion you know, the the devil seems a little bit like a spent force in the movies. Which is exactly <laughs> why I remember Ari Aster, um, when he was making talking about hereditary, which is definitely a, you know, obviously a something that's got Rosemary's baby's DNA in it. Yeah, uh, big time is one of the things he did was well we can't make it the devil because everyone laughs at the devil. Uh, mm-hmm. and people saying hail Satan now seems a that's the only bit that seemed a bit dated. But I was totally <laughs> with the, I was totally with the film anyway. But when they're going hail Satan, it seems a bit funny, doesn't it? Because we've had the Exorcist and the Omen and God knows what else, and then yeah. you know, and then the scary movie films <laughs> we've had. You know, but, but I don't the, the, know though. I, I I still found it chilling. Maybe this is my. Oh, no, I know I totally found it chilling. I totally found it chilling because I was swept along with it. But well, I'm just saying that's the only bit that made it a bit dated because it started. It must have been so powerful in 1968. God, yeah, so powerful yeah. because mm. you know even by 1974 they were still, you know, the the exorcist still scared the Jesus out of people because they believed in the devil. Yeah. Um, and now, and now, like we've said many times, nowadays young audiences tend to laugh at The Exorcist, and I imagine they'd laugh mm-hmm. at Hail Satan. Hail Hail silly Satan. people. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I'll just try saying it every now and then and see if it, see if people laugh. Yeah, I think it's probably in context. Hail Satan! <laughs> if you're in Tesco. That's the thing, though. Hail Satan is the end of the movie, and I think by then, even though. The characters of the Castavets are eccentric, annoying people, and there are a bunch of characters in it who are uh, who are a little bit out of the ordinary, and you don't like them. They do all seem very real and human. Yes. Like like um, my favourite character, who is Patsy King as Laura Louise, the the woman who comes and just spontaneously starts knitting in yes, Rosemary's apartment. <laughs> you know, she's there at the end, and she's completely. With the whole Hail Satan stuff, but she's also sticking her tongue out at Rosemary yeah. and just kind of being yeah, yeah. an annoying busybody. They all seem very human, and and therefore that oh, kind yeah. of um, that kind of well, fervency that they all show at yeah. the end. Well, well, I mean, at some point, well, I guess we are we talking about it now, but the banality of evil, because the Holocaust yeah. is a, is you know, Polanski's experience of the Holocaust is runs through most of his films. Um, 
and and you can see it in this this film. It's 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 sort of post Holocaust. Um, and there's, there's there's a quote I read today, which was a lot of it was he saw a lot of pregnant women being bundled onto trucks, um, you know, during the Holocaust by, yeah. by big men in uniform, and so that fear of seeing you know someone as waif-like as Rosemary being bund being marched about by big men with needles. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a Holocaust nightmare in some ways. It's, you know, it can be, it can be, it can be read on lots of different levels. But one of the things was, was you know, he's always a lot of his stuff has, you know, has men in, men in power marching civilians about, and women and children. That explains the haircut as well, doesn't it? Rosemary's yeah, otherwise inexplicable haircut in the middle of the film, it just makes her into that image. Well, it is genuinely. It's it's genuinely a sort of cool pixie cut from the time, but at the same time, there's a line that's in the novel that he cut out that Polanski had in his script and then decided not to do, which is where one of her Gentile friends, you know, one of her actual friends, not not from the Satanic cult, um, mm -hmm. when during that bit where they come in and they're all worrying about how unhealthy she looks, they say you look like you look like Miss um, Miss Concentration Camp 1966. So, right. but he decided to take that line out probably because it was a little bit on the nose. Yeah. To, uh, yeah. To to you know, so like you say, that referencing it, she's skinny, she's got the short hair, but then to actually say concentration camp was probably too much. Um, right, sure. Too on the nose. So it was in the book, but um, they they took it out. He took it out. Should mention this. Of... Have Have you read the book, Ian? No, I haven't. No. Uh, neither have I, um, Stella. No, just no. because it's important to to recognise that it is based on the 1967 book by Ira Levin. Um, normally, yeah. we at least one of us would try and read the book that, of the film that we're talking about, but you know this was arranged quite in quite a hurry this session. Yeah. I've read Stepford Wives. And, <laughs> if that helps. All right, so you have read some Ira Levin. Yes, I've read Stepford Wives. Yeah, okay. from from what I've, from what I've read about um, Rosemary's Baby. Is it was it was optioned before it was published, like the galleys of it went round Hollywood, and right. Polanski snapped it up. So, I think I think it's a very, I think it's probably very close to what we see on screen. Mm. Was it uh, Polanski or William Castle? Do you know who snapped it up? I just because I, do not know. But, I think um, it's it's a it's a really bizarre. Um, partnership that this movie is produced by William Castle, who is a famous kind of American schlockmeister, directed and produced films like The Tingler and House on Haunted Hill. Mm. But, you know, then it's written and directed by Polanski, so I just wonder who kind of originated that idea. And I, and I have to admit, I, I did do some uh, googling, but I've, I've not been able to answer that question. Although yeah. I am on I am on Wikipedia, so I'll just have a quick look to see if, <laughs> if that tells us. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, but um, but Polanski, but the, the sort of themes of it, the it being a, written by a Jewish Jewish American, um, and you know, and then made by a by a by a Polish Jewish, um, boy, American French, whatever, wherever, whoever will have him these days, um, but. Um, um, by Polanski, so the, the, sort of Judaism is a very important part of the book and the film. Um, in a 
in a, in, a, in a way that maybe you wouldn't see and i certainly certainly have never never had the thought before watching it this time around but it's 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 all about anti-semitism and there's, there's lots of little bits of anti-semitic stuff from 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 rosemary is quite anti-semitic in a sort of uh in a, in a sort of uh, innocent kind of way casual kind of way this stuff kind of went completely over my head, I have to say, even viewing it this time. So so mm. uh, could you talk a bit more about that, please, Ian? Well, it's just, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's almost like they went for blood libel, which is the whole, obviously, the, the whole medieval, and, and, well, Googling this, I found posts on Stormfront, you know, the, uh, the neo-Nazi American site discussing rosemary's baby um oh. because it's part it's been wrapped up in the q and on the, the you know the q and on anti you know the anti-semitic nonsense they're they're taking the piss out of us they're they're hiding in plain sight um kind of nonsense um but the fact is the idea is that the blood libel which is you know which is that jews use christian children and mix yeah. them with their flour to make their bread. Just it's just ridiculous. People would even believe it, but it's fed mm. into it's fed into Pizzagate and QAnon and yeah. and the mole children and all those sort of ridiculous things. People are still believing it now, and I'd argue that they were having Ira Levin and then Polanski sort of almost in tandem because it's almost like book and film came out simultaneously, kind of thing. They're using the prejudices of of uh, of sort of uh, Gentile culture, you know, sort of you know, wasp wasp America. Um, well, no, it's not wasp in this case, is it? Because it's Catholic. Anyway, mainstream mainstream Christian America. They're using their prejudices against them because um, it's almost like what if what if Jews did come and want your babies? It's kind of that thing, and it's almost like near the end it's almost like her madness is seen as madness because it's when it's when she um when she mentions um uh the doctor saperstein and she mentions him being part of it and you can't tell and and then you have the you have dr hill and you think he's on her side but actually what he's yeah. done is done, oh my god she's an anti-semitic nut Right, and, and so it kind of uses it all. It, it's a very uncomfortable film for many reasons, yes. and this is one of them. But it kind of uses that anti-Semitic prejudice, sort of, in a feedback loop against against Rosemary standing in for her culture, which is why. Because when I, before I watched this, I was a bit worried. Oh, could you can you have a can you have a heroine who loses at the end in this age of Me Too? Won't, won't it seem too horrible? or too misogynistic and I don't think it does at all and one of the reasons for me is because she's an innocent and actually she's she's being killed because of the sins of her culture um which is the catholic faith in particular and general american christianity uh sort of in the whole if that makes any sense mm. uh, yeah sure and also I mean she she's not actually killed though is she she's the, the, well, the no, no. So, really... so, so, yeah, no. So, she's not killed, but she's defeated. She's utterly yeah. defeated. She's, she succumbs, doesn't she? 
Yeah. 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 Although it's not, it's not I, a good I, ending I think... for her. No. <laughs> no, but it's it's quite an, it is an empowering ending in a way because she has got two really bad choices at the end, but at least she has the choice and she, you know, she could either you know, stay with her son and and try and raise the son of Satan with the satanists or she could go back to guy who she knows is a horrible swine. Yeah, yeah. Um who sold her out just for the sake of his own career. And she does make the choice, you know, her, her agency is not entirely taken away from her. And, and, you know, I think there's a slight sense of hope at the end. You know, what will happen over the years as as Rosemary is there, as Adrian is being raised. By the way, there is a sequel to this movie that was made eight years later. It's a TV movie called Whatever Happened to Rosemary's Baby. And Ruth <laughs> Gordon does reprise her role as Minnie Castavet in it. Mm. Yeah. I, have, I haven't seen it. Nobody talks about it. There's also a sequel that Ira Levin wrote in the late All 90s right. called um, Rosemary's Son. And right. I've not read it. But the plot the, the plot outline sounds awful. But, um, <laughs> right. She ends up getting dragged to hell. She awakes from a coma. And... Adrian is a grown-up, and he, he, he says he's, he's got powers, but he's not the Antichrist, and he's running a charity. And then it turns out he's lying, and then as she's confronting him, Satan appears and drags her to hell. And then she wakes up, and, uh, and it's the 60s before Rosemary's Baby happened. And so I've not read it, obviously. But then appa- apparently it then suggests uh, maybe she's... Maybe she did get dragged to hell and she's now in purgatory. Um, but it also brings in sort of stuff to do with John Lennon and things like that, which is it reminds me of why Exorcist 3, some of the problems I had with Exorcist 3, when the author gets hung up on the, the reaction the to the original. That's accrued yeah. around this thing they wrote in, in sort of innocence. You mm. know, a bit like in Exorcist 3, he got off on the, on the Zodiac killer. In this, yeah. he got, it's like in this, it seems like he's getting off on the fact that some people have said because uh, Mia Farrow was at was at the Maharishi's place and allegedly got sexually assaulted by the Maharishi, which is why Lennon and Harrison left in disgust, and then so and then he took a place at the Dakota Buildings with Yoko Ono, which is where they shot Rosemary's baby. So they always say. The place where they used to say that's where they shot Rosemary's baby is now. That's the place where they shot John Lennon. Um, Jeez. Is uh, so so. There's all these stupid, all these stupid conspiracy theories, and and you know, like mm. it's the most. It's a it's a cursed film, and part of it's the Maharishi putting a curse on John Lennon. Um, right. <laughs> Gee, okay. um, through Rosemary's baby or something. I'm not entirely sure, but yeah, there's there's but the the fact that an author would then add to that himself or I, it, just like with just like with Exodus 3 it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth personally yeah no I think um, that's fair but enough it, but, um, but in terms in terms of this movie I think it's uh, it's uh, it's an awesome it's an amazing movie mm. um, it is um, Stella um, do you want to talk a bit about what you saw in it this time as opposed to your initial viewing so many yeah. years ago well I mean just to agree with Ian's last point, it's an incredible movie, and it was 
well, I was going to say it was a joy to watch, but it's absolutely not a joy to watch. It's a deeply <laughs> uncomfortable film. Um, but un- but I found it uncomfortable for different reasons. So, like I said before, when I saw it as a kid, I just saw the devil baby stuff, and I I knew I knew that she'd been raped, but I didn't think I don't think I knew what rape was. So I knew it was mm. bad and it was grim, and that she was supposed to have been asleep through it all, but she came too because she didn't eat all, all the moose. Um, so I knew all that was bad, and I knew the pregnancy was making her sick and because it was, you know, she was pregnant with the devil's baby. So I saw all of that when I was a kid. And then watching it yesterday and today, there was just various points that I picked up on, maybe because I'm grown up... <laughs> supposed to be grown up now um and because i've been through pregnancy because i'm a mother i just saw loads of the stuff that in caught up from rosemary's point of view as a as a woman and as a pregnant woman and as a stay-at-home wife as well i found all of that deeply troubling so for instance at right at the start of the film or near the start of the film when they first move into the apartment and they've got no furniture and they're just sat on the floor and she just says hey let's make love and then they do and she's instigated the sex and it's it's very very sweet like it's very very loving the camera goes a bit a bit porn film for for a few oh, seconds i did think that was a really weird moment though because she just says that and then she just says both... it. she opens a drink and then says hey let's make love when it's that we'll drink your and, beer first um, and they <laughs> then they don't embrace or anything they both very formally they just get, get, get undressed separately <laughs> like... well you know let's not mess about let's just get down to business but when, but she instigates it and it is quite loving and you know they're clearly yeah. they and they have a laugh during it like he makes a joke about something and, and they sort of they start laughing and it's not quite so... don't look now though is it yeah <laughs> but she instigates the sex and it and it's quite and it's nice it's clearly enjoyable for the pair of them and then the other yeah. time that she's involved in sex it's when guy has instigated it via you know the sedating her and via the the devil worshippers and then it's very very violent so i was seeing the difference between the the sex that a woman might want and then the sex that the man was agreeing to and then Mm. when she comes around in the morning and she thinks that guy had sex with her anyway while she was passed out which essentially she thinks that guys raped her because it was non-consensual she's covered in scratches and she's clearly uncomfortable with it and but she just lets it go, like she doesn't mention it again. She just sits on the side of the bed and looks a bit uncomfortable. And what I couldn't sort of stop thinking about for a for a few minutes while watching the film, it was like, was you know, gosh, was was rape in marriage still allowed then? Oh, Perhaps. totally. And it's just. Uh, yeah. I'd yeah, like it, to look. I'd like, yeah, I'd like to look at the exact dates, but yeah. all I know is, all I know is, nineteen ninety two was when it was outlawed in Italy. Right. And that was one of the last places. So I bet you America was bloody eighties. It was still it was still okay. I mean that that's what really shocked me that bit that I didn't want to miss Baby Night. Yeah, that he just did it to. He 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 said to her, "I didn't want to miss Baby Night." So he knows what's happened, what's actually happened the night before, and that she's been raped by the devil. She's covered in scratches, but he says to her, "Hey, I didn't want to miss Baby Night," and you know maybe I got a little bit rough, and she's just like, "Oh, okay." And just lets that kind of go, and I was like, "Wow, you know, fucking well, hell, that was the times. That, that, that terrifying." No, funnily enough, that's one of the one details that I remembered from my initial viewing of it right. in 1998. The way he jokily, yeah, uh, justifies what he's done by saying, "Quote, 
it was kind of nice in a necrophile way. Yeah, it was like, oh yeah, my yeah. god. And so yeah, I, so yeah. I, I knew, I knew when I watched it when I was younger that he'd, he told that lie, but the lie that he tells is also so despicable. Yeah. He's telling her, I raped you last night. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. What? He just yeah, but, but says it with a blithe grin like yeah. it's just one of those so, things. Yeah. Well, that, that, that really the, that stuck the, in me. Yeah. That, um, was, that was the moment when I sort of thought, like it was a real moment. I was going, is this where it's going to seem dated? Like how much is mm. that intentional? How much is that mm. supposed to be shocking? Mm. Um, and, and, and says, and you know, you can watch some movies and they have an unintentional meaning or they or they cast unintentional light on the times they're made in. Yeah. Um, and I was wondering if that one of those moments, like how much how much how big was that moment to the to an audience to or the to viewers the then creators yeah. fifty years ago? Yeah. Or was that perfectly acceptable well not acceptable, but was that just one of those things? Yeah. That men did because you were married to them. Because you were married and the ownership. Yeah. It's, it's like it's like my talking of pregnancy, but when you know when you talk about sex, when when you start having sex after after pregnancy, yeah, as, as a couple, <laughs> and my 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 mother was telling me about how awful things were, you know, the awful things they'd say, like female nurses would say, well, you'll probably be raped by your husband after six weeks, um, so best to let him, and things like that. So just the way they'd blithely say your husband will rape you because yeah, it's he'll be just, it's just expected was, to that happen. Was, that was that was you know that was in the early seventies. Mm. So you know, so it's it's. But but did did you did you think that her because she's in meek mode at that point? She's a yes. simpering meek person, um, and that's what I was sort of troubled by to start with, and then then I'm not because she goes on a journey. Yeah, she gets she stronger, doesn't she? She, Even though she's defeated, she's very, very strong by the end. Yeah, and she's she, on a mission. She, the, yeah. You know, all the times that she tries to escape and, she, you know, she's very thoughtful about how she tries to escape and get out of there. But then you mentioned before yeah. about Dr. Doctor Hill not believing her and mm. that kind of did strike a chord and I think it does still make it a relevant movie now because we're having much wider cultural discussions about people not believe in the victim and to immediately, yeah. you know, just, just to shun what, what people have said or victims being afraid of speaking up in case they're not being yeah. believed. And Rosemary does really... try to speak up on more than one occasion and she's repeatedly not believed. And I think it's that a, is wonderfully it's a really relevant powerful, to today. It's a really powerful moment because... Definitely. Because the whole thing is all of them witches and he's not in the cult, but he mm. is in the cult of the patriarchy. Definitely. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's almost like all of them witches goes wider. It's, it's, you know, if you're a woman, then, then, <coughs> then, uh, you know, Doctor Hill will side with Doctor Saperstein. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Over it's quite yeah, in the boys' club. One yeah. of the reasons she is a powerful kind of lead, I think, is because it's quite becomes clear fairly early in the earlier than I thought it would actually, because I, mm. I kind of remember that the storyline is. There, you know, she's in a big uh, kind of satanic conspiracy, but she doesn't realise it until the end. But actually, she does realise it quite. I mean, the audience knows it quite quickly because we see the ceremony and the rape and all that. Mm. Uh, but she catches on quite soon. Um, 
And uh, the, the thing is, there is nobody on her side, and that kind of becomes clear. She yes, knows. So alone. I, I also remem- misremembered that I thought she. I think I thought maybe she she knew there was something wrong, but she didn't realise her husband was in on it till the end of the film. But she knows. I mean, that's almost the first thing is she realises how strange he's he's behaving. So. Well, there's that point where she, when when the pain stops and she says, "Oh, now I can feel it kicking," and he won't even touch. He won't. He won't touch it because he knows he won't touch her tummy. because oh, yeah. he knows what's in there. And I'm sat there oh, going, that, oh, that's, "You bastard!" That's, that's one of the. That's one of the. Um, that's one of the sort of another amazing moment when she goes, "It's alive!" It's alive. And it's like. It's like. It's like and he's frightened, thinking, isn't he? You're thinking Frankenstein. Mm. Yeah. Frankenstein's monster, but also she seems. It's, it's like it's like the the joy of pregnancy in reverse, wasn't it? Because. <laughs> Well, no, because um, pregnancy for uh, pregnancy is a time, you know, the glowing and the, you know, lots of people will say it's one of the it's one of the nicest feelings. Apparently, I don't know if you'd agree, Stella. Uh, once I stopped feeling queasy, once I stopped feeling queasy, I did actually very much enjoy being pregnant. Yeah, I mean, most most people most people will say they, you know. Most women will say, like, feeling pregnant does feel amazing, you know. Yeah, because it's just, your body, it's mental. Your, your body gets pumped full of lovely endorphins and you're growing a life and yeah. all the rest of it. And this was almost like the opposite. She wasn't glowing. She was going, she was turning into a zombie. She was getting skinnier yeah. while the thing was, it was just, just the makeup was just amazing. It's like yeah, this I thing that. eating yeah. away at her. So yeah. she's, 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 she's getting so unhealthy because this demon thing. Is, She's uh, so beautiful as well, isn't she? The amount of times that I thought watching it, it was just like oh, how beautiful she is, even when she's looking gaunt and pale. She's like, well, yeah, oh, she's, she's got heroin gorgeous. cheek before heroin cheek, hasn't she? So gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that moment of the film was one of the bits which I didn't quite get. Is that she kind of, you know, um, she is complaining of pains and she is wasting away and she is resisting. Minnie's moose. Oh, and I need to mention this. I was so pleased that I finally understood after many years uh, a chapter title from Kim Newman's book, Nightmare Movies. The chapter is called Devil Movies or If the Moose Tastes Chalky, Don't Eat It. Don't eat it. Um, But yeah, you know, so so Rosemary's kind of like, no, I'm not having any more of that. I'm not having the yoghurts. Sorry, yeah, it's, it's... the kind of health yogurt drinks that Minnie makes for her, yeah. um, and 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 then suddenly there's that scene where she goes, the pain stopped and it uh, and it's alive and I can feel him kicking and then she's okay for a bit, and then it starts hurting again, and I did I thought they were going to explain what that meant maybe they did and I missed it did, what what do you guys think happened there? I think she's just kind of overwhelmed with not feeling the pain anymore because she she so wants to be pregnant and then she is and then it feels awful and then she gets oh, yeah. some respite and i think it's kind of you know and it's what happens at the end she her does her mothering instinct take over or does she make make the choice but i think it's the overwhelmingness of her oh, being no. pregnant yeah i i would understand that reading of it it was just that i didn't understand why the pain then came back and she, and she did eat she she started eating um, 
the the yogurts, the health drinks. Maybe it was get, uh, drinking them. What's it called? Braxton then, Hicks. <laughs> what was maybe, that? Sorry, still. Maybe she was getting Braxton Hicks contractions, so they're like your body's um, like practice ones that you get in yeah. the last few weeks, and they are sharp and they are mean, and and you think right. something's happening, but absolutely nothing is happening. It's just your body going ah. <laughs> let's practice these oh, okay. muscles and then right. yeah, nothing's happening and then you ring the doctor and they go shut up you're fine <laughs> just wait for a bit yeah. but it really hurt yeah it will <laughs> good yeah, luck with that she, she's not, I mean she's not growing a normal child in there either is she so yeah. she's you know you and never, you have never really see hooves? the baby do you well you never see mm. the baby because when when the baby's in the big black beautiful cot thing at the end, which to be fair I loved, I would have loved my kid in one of them. Um, <laughs> and one of the, one of the minions says, "Look at his feet." So is it suggesting he's got cloven hooves? Ah. So if that's yeah. kicking inside her, I would imagine yeah. that's deeply uncomfortable. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, I can un- understand that as well. I just thought it was a strange kind of repeated plot beat that. She- right. On two occasions, she goes, I'm sick of this. I'm not having any more of Minnie's health drinks. This has all got to stop. And then she's okay with it for a bit. And then she says, I'm sick of this. It's got to stop again. Estrogen, I reckon. She gets a big wave of it. (laughs) (laughs) It makes you feel good. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That'll be an explanation then. Um, Okay. Um, Ian, what else have you got to say? Well, just, uh, I mean, just, just of the, just, just of the, I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess we could go on about the fact that he's made the, without, without saying that they're Jewish, he's made, he's made, he's made the, he's made the Satanist quite Jewish, even though it's a bit confusing because one of the things she doesn't, she doesn't think Dr. Saperstein is in the cult because he's Jewish, um, but 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 nearly all the actors he gets to play, like Mr. Shand is a Jewish actor. Tony Curtis is the guy on the other end of the phone. He's yeah. a Jewish actor. There's uh, there's there's and you know Ruth Gordon's character is a sort of is you know is a sort of stereotypical is a stereotypical Jewish Jewish, Jewish mother, mother type mm. thing. Yeah, yeah. And also they're deliberately it's it's almost like. They're getting the ugly, ugly stereotypes about their own people, and they're kind of weirdly reclaiming them by showing them, mm. like, like the whole thing about there's, there's a stereotype about Jewish, especially elderly Jewish women, being really disgusting eaters, and that that we've got that with Minnie. She's she's right. a you know she's a stereotype, but it's like Jewish Jewish filmmakers have made them stereotypes on purpose, and then. You get Rosemary being a little bit anti-Semitic by going. She she talks about the price. She asks the price of everything. Yeah. So right. So there's all these there's all these little things and and I think it's a really uncomfortable, deliberately uncomfortable feedback loop of of and then then the the way that the Catholicism is shown in the dream sequences is very important. Um, you know, they're not yes. there by accident. She's not a Catholic by accident. She's yeah. what what she Satan triumphs because of because Christianity is anti Semitic and subdues its women. So in in the sort of flashback slash dream sequences, 
you see how she's sort of been groomed by the Catholic by her Catholic upbringing to be meek, to to cry, to to uh, you know to, to to be to be the sort of simpering the simpering person. All she wants is a baby at the beginning. Mm. Um, that's 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 why that's why Satan triumphs because that that society as a whole is ill like mm. they, they mock there's a whole bit where they're mocking catholicism um and uh and saying it's showbiz and it's rubbish and they slag off the pope um but it's almost like that's the bit that's that tension and it reminded me of the wicker man the yeah. way that the wicker man the villains have a point the villains yeah. are the pagans and the pagan religion looks more attractive for all the horrors it's doing the the it's it's almost like and that's a catholic man as well who yeah, yeah. who ultimately his rigid stupid you know so ultimately it's a sort of criticism against the society that that he represents and in a way rosemary's defeat is 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 a sort of criticism of you know we we we're we're responsible for our own doom kind of thing I mean, I believe that in the Wicker Man Sergeant, Harry's meant to be a Calvinist, but as I, I, I'm oh, not very it? clear on the difference between Calvinism and Catholicism, you know, quite a lot of difference. I, I am yeah. certainly a Catholic anyway, and it's and I still got the point from it. But you know, the Wicker Man yeah, yeah. Um, skewered my faith, so and yeah. probably because I love the Wicker Man so much is is one of the Do reasons we? I've never. It's it's it, it's a it's a little known fact, Stella. That's true. Um, it's probably one of the reasons I've not come back to Rosemary's Baby before because I kind of felt like I've I've got my um, kind of anti-Catholic uh, you know, complex multi-layered movie. But you know, I am, I am really glad that um, I've come back and looked at, at this again. Yeah, and, me too. Because the Wicker Man uh, doesn't have a complex and ambivalent attitude to anti-Semitism. <laughs> no, that's it's a whole different layer. Yeah, that I've not thought about before. So, so yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, also... there's, another, there's another line as well, which um, just a, another line, which is when they're talking about the building, and they you know, it was empty, and then World War Two soon filled it up, and that's a, you know, that's basically part right. of that whole. Oh, here come all the Jews because it's World War Two, filling right. up that part of New York kind of thing. So that's another, that's another sort of anti-Semitic kind of thing um, right. that's sort of uttered. Um, there's there's loads of little details. I feel like I was noticing all the wrong ones, but I'd, like for instance, in in the Catholic dream sequences that you were just talking about, Ian, is John F. Kennedy supposed to be one of the people on the boat? I think so because yeah, it's it's mm. very much set when it's made as well because you know. He says, "Get me to Kennedy Airport," and it's literally only just been called Kennedy Airport. Mm. Um, and it's uh, and obviously they were very, they were. He was a one reason he was a controversial president was because he was Catholic. Um, so that sort of all mixed up with the whole. Because uh, you don't see his his face, but you hear his voice, and I just thought that actor's doing a John F. Kennedy impression, isn't he? Um, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, that all, that all fits. Um, while we're yeah. on random uh, sort of cameos, 
I was a bit bamboozled by the whole Victoria Vestry thing. Did that did, did that strike either of you at all? The character um, played by a, an actress credited as I'll just look it up. Angela Dorian Terry. Oh, the the girl in the washroom basement, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Rosemary makes friends with her in the laundry room. And she says, she's looking at her, and, and Terry says, why are you looking at me like that? And she said, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were Victoria Vetri, the actress. And she goes, oh, I'm always mistaken <laughs> for her. I don't see the resemblance. And it is Victoria Vetri, the actress, credited under a different name, playing that part. But Victoria Vetri was not that famous. <laughs> um, I mean, be, maybe is this, you could... Is this Victoria Vetri from Star Trek? Uh, no, she was never in Star Trek. She's she, There is another model in Star Trek who is mistaken for Victoria Vetri. Oh, um, right. I'm getting really but, mixed up there. So it's <laughs> like, I feel like it's like a massive end joke. You could, in, the, in the universe of the film, you could justify it by saying, you know, um, uh, Rosemary's married to an actor. She probably watches a lot of TV. And she, mm -hmm. and she might have met a lot of actors and she just, so she knew. But it's not like the people in the audience would know who Victoria Vetri was. She is in a Hammer film called When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth, which was made after this. Um, right. And that's about yeah. it. Um, so, but because I, I knew she that was... name, I just, that, that line just really threw me. And then to yeah, realise, oh, looking, it was I'm, her. I'm looking, I'm... I'm looking at her IMDb now and, uh, you know, she uh, she was in Wagon Train. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. But then I can't no, see anything she, she was in for more than a few episodes. So, i.e. she was a jobbing actor. Yeah. It's just a really strange, strange joke. Um but anyway, you know, that was just something I thought yeah, yeah. I wanted to mention. It, it's not <laughs> remotely connected to the, the serious themes of the film, unless it is. Yeah. <laughs> we need to watch yeah, it again. Yeah, well, I think in the, in the universe of the film, I guess it's just, uh, I guess it's just, yeah, it's a bit weird. Well, no, I guess I just in thought... the universe of the film, she knows actors and she knows TV. Yeah. And, you know, she's in that world, so she will, you know, she'll... She'll recognise people yeah. and she'll know people, so I think it's fine. But I just think it's it's a weird joke to to contrive. It's also, if, if if they were sort of saying, "Oh, I, I you know, it's, yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's a bit weird," because because if she recognises someone who's like, you know, a, a jobbing actor, that's fair enough. She recognises her, but the person the person who uh, is being recognised will go, "Who?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, they won't go. Oh, that happens all the time, like she does in the film. It's sort of saying, mm -hmm. "You look like Marilyn Monroe." Um, <laughs> I'd like to it, know that bit is in the book. Yeah, it's very strange, isn't it? It's Listeners, let us know. Um, other yeah. random moments that I just picked up on that, that I thought were kind of. How, how would you say? Um, you know, I, I'm looking at my notes and I'm kind of. Uh, conscious that i've just noticed little um incongruous things rather than the kind of deeper themes but i did write down japanese camera guy yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit racist <laughs> um but uh, i guess that plays into the, the the use of stereotypes to kind of disguise satanism 
you know um the, it works yeah. with what you're saying about the presentation of the jewish characters which hadn't occurred to me yeah well i think it's also because one thing you don't really realize till you read about it afterwards uh, is that it's a global conspiracy so it really is like QAnon. it's it's to sort of go you know he's a, he's a japanese going oh my god she's the mother you know this is this is the antichrist and the global the global cabal of satanists uh yeah. I've, all, I've, all, I've all gathered in New York uh, for this. You know, this is year one of, of uh, you know, of uh, Satan has triumphed. This is year one of uh, the Antichrist. So it's not just like a minor thing. We've had a baby in uh, our little, tiny little cult. It's like the global satanic conspiracy has now got their Antichrist. I mean, it's it's kind of like the a prequel to the Omen or something, um, which obviously the Omen wouldn't, very oh, we should talk about that one, one time. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, oh, I love the Omen. Nah. Yeah, but the, the Omen obviously is is very much, you know, out of the Exorcist and and Rosemary's Baby. Oh yeah, they are the the trinity, aren't they? Of um, yeah, yeah, kind of satanic movies. But I do think that the Omen is like, um, it's Rosemary's Baby, but with Rosemary herself stripped out of it. Because in The Omen, I remember thinking, it's very strange from a scripting point of view that the wife doesn't get much to do and say because in The Omen, uh, it's her, her husband's betraying her for, for you know, he's a, much, he, he's a well-intentioned character unlike Guy in Rosemary's Baby, but because he betrays her by lying to her and saying, your baby, he doesn't tell her that her baby died and he swaps the baby for another. Yeah. And the script doesn't pay attention to that character so she never realizes that her husband betrayed her and i, I remember thinking that was, mm. would have been a really interesting emotional dynamic to the film why didn't yeah. they come straight on that but then i realized well that would make it rosemary's baby essentially uh, yeah. you know it, it would look yeah. like a less yeah, good and she'd, have to, of she'd have to make baby. the same choice wouldn't she yeah yeah so mm. Um, yeah except except damien hadn't come from her body yeah, but she didn't know that. She That's... didn't know that. No, no. But what I mean, either is, way, if it's you a found betrayal. Out the truth, she'd but... be like, "Well, fuck you, other kid." <laughs> but if she'd looked after him oh, yeah, already for a few years, body. then she might already be attached. Yeah, that's true as well. He was older, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, but it's that. Yeah, yeah. The complexity in in, in the kind of um, husband-wife relationship that that would engender would have been really interesting, but. Um, anyway, they chose not to do that. Instead, they chose to have Gregory Peck be um, kind of kind of heroic, virtuous. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, because he regrets what he did ultimately, and he did do it for it takes him a bloody reasons. while, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, and and the wife has to die to get into that She has that to point. die. That priest has to so, die. The fellow with the, you know, the, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. It takes a while for him to show any regret. He's just it seems to me that and we're yeah. not talking about that film. We'll save that for when no, we're no. talking he about is an American film. politician. Well, but, um, yeah, but, good point. But you, um, yeah, his his counterpart in Rosemary's Baby is worth talking about because the amazing yeah, John yeah. Cassavetes as yeah, a yeah. truly awful husband. <laughs> What a bastard. <laughs> well, yeah. One of the things I wrote down was that right hey, from man. the very start of the film, he's telling lies, like from his first... <laughs> um, Stella's holding a piece of paper with a rude message on it about Guy. 
which we cannot possibly say. I can't say um, it. Oh. Begins with a C. <laughs> off mic. But um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, when they walk into the uh, the building at the start to look at the apartment, the first two lines that come out of the guy's mouth are lies. The guy says, uh, the the man showing them the apartment says, "What do you do for a living?" And he says, "I'm a doctor." And then and and Rosemary says, "No, he isn't. He's an actor." And then oh the, yeah. The, yeah. And then, and then the man says, "Oh, what have you been in?" And he says, "Oh, I've been in Hamlet or something." And he 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 cites some high fluted things. Yeah, and no, Rosemary that's, just that's... goes, "No, he's done a lot of TV and some commercials." Well, that's yeah, that's what's brilliant about his character is. I mean, obviously, as a as a you wouldn't as a real person, he's awful, but as a character, he's amazing because he is yeah. he is such a vainglorious. Like he's 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 he's, he's very easily seduced, and you believe that, the, you know. He's 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 a he's a struggling actor with a massive ego, and mm. all it takes is for the old guy to go, oh, that bit you did in Lufa, were you really not the main part? And straight away he's, yeah, he's then, sort yeah. of drawn in, going, what if, we, what if we just did a little ritual and and made made Tony Curtis blind, and uh, <laughs> and you can take that part. Um, so, so yeah, so it's all kind of weirdly mixed up with the sort of theatre world as well. Um, which probably yeah. plays to stereotypes about um, about sort of deviant theatre types as well. You sure. know, they're all they're all depraved in the theatre. It's true. If, yes. if it's going to be Satanists in New York, it'll be uh, it'll be Jewish people working in the theatre. <laughs> so, excuse me. No, so, he's terrific. Yeah, but John John Cassavetes is just an amazing, amazing individual who's, I guess, I guess he's quite well known to film buffs, but he's not very well known to the wider world. He's, he was quite well known in the sixties because he's, he's he's so swinsome. But uh, but you know, have you ever seen um, Murder of a Chinese Bookie? He did a lot no. of neo noir, no. I and mean, a yeah, he did some amazing films, but uh, not in. Is the, that one of the, the films he directed? Right? Yeah, yeah, films he directed, yeah. I, I've never seen any bookie. films he directed. I, I'd really love to see the movie Gloria mm, that no, he made I, yeah. with his wife, Gina Rollins. Yeah, in lots no, of I've never seen that. But yeah, but Murder of a Chinese Bookie I would recommend in a, to, to people who want to have a non-horror recommendation. Right, but, uh, but yeah, but he, he, he famously saw acting as very much his secondary job. He was all right. about directing and acting was to pay the bills and, and, Interesting. Men, you know, and put into his films. And but, apparently, uh, I think I read somewhere that Polanski didn't really like working with him because as an actor who was also a director, Casafetti's would have his own ideas about how certain scenes mm. should be acted and shot and Polanski had to do a lot of work to go, no, just do it the way I want you to do it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it seems weird now because mm. Polanski's sort of one of the big names in directing, isn't he? It's like, just have an argument sure. with Stanley Kubrick about directing. <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, this, let's say, I mean, this was his first American film, wasn't it? So he, yeah, he yeah. did have a few films behind him, but he was... And by the way, I, I brought up the question earlier about whether Castle or Polanski had the rights to Rosemary's Baby, apparently, and I got this off Wikipedia, folks, so take this for what it's worth. Apparently, 
Newcastle approach Robert Evans, who gets a thank you credit on the movie. Um, mm. He's the producer who later did uh, Chinatown with Polanski. Uh, and right. Evans, Evans bought the rights to uh, Rosemary's Baby on the um, on the advice of Castle, but he was only um, given the option on condition that Castle, who was known for kind of horrible B movies or, or or cheapo B movies, would not direct it. So that's why right. it ends up being a William Castle production, directed and written by uh, someone else. And yeah, I suppose yeah. it was Ev- Evans then who would have made the link to Polanski. Yeah. I mean, the the other thing we haven't touched upon is, uh, as we go into the final straight, is, uh, is, is, is the whole Me Too era and Polanski as a person. And that, that this is... I mean, because it comes from Ira Levin's book as well, and he's obviously... He's obviously... Obviously, one of his themes, you know, with Stepford Wives and things, is is he's aware of tyranny of domesticity for women in that era. So he's obviously, Ira Levin is obviously sort of quite right on for his era. Um, um, but this is this is this is a film made by Polanski, and then it's tied in with again we were talking about John Lennon getting shot, but also it's tied in with. You know the Manson, the whole White Album thing was made. Sexy Sadie was written, and that led to the White Album, which led to Charles Manson going on his his family going on a killing spree, which then killed killed Polanski's. This is this this is not what happened. This is what people believe. But then, but then the fact that people are endlessly fascinated. But then it was Polanski's. Uh, Polanski's uh, pregnant, pregnant, pregnant wife, who was yeah. one of the victims. Um, yeah. So this is, this is the, you know, this. Well, I, su- I suppose what we're tackling is the fact that this is a film about abuse made by a man who was convicted years later of abuse, wasn't it? He was. Um, yeah, eleven years later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. admitted raping um, an underage girl and and had to yeah. flee America to to avoid the jail yeah. time. And other allegations was... have surfaced since, but he continued to make movies in Europe and and has done yeah. until very recently. I'm not even sure when his last film was, but it not so long ago. Um, no, no. I, I, mean... I feel like I there was I can't remember a time when I didn't know that Polanski. Was this kind of disgraced character? Yeah. Did, did, um, Ian, how about you? When you first saw this movie, did you know about Polanski's um, history? I can't in this remember. One? I, I probably didn't even know who Polanski was when I first saw it. La, la, la. Right, here I am again, present day, Dan, with more apologies as to the sudden ending of that conversation, which was out of our hands, unfortunately. I'm sure Stella and Ian would have had other interesting things to say about that. Um, What I will do is direct you to the episode 
that we did about the movie Alien Resurrection. Um, that was myself and Ian talking about that movie um, and we reflected on the problematic nature of the film's writer Joss Whedon who has um, whose reputation for general behaviour has taken a kicking in recent years and therefore um, it seemed appropriate to talk about um, how the behaviour of a person, a creator, can affect your appreciation of their work. Just thinking about Polanski, um, I don't know what Stella and Ian would say, but because um, with me, Polanski was always a tainted creator. You know, I think before I'd seen one of his movies, I was aware that he was this um, kind of shunned genius but whose body of work stood tall despite um, you know the details of his, his personal life um, and because Polanski has always kind of been under the shadow of those things um, I don't have a problem with appreciating his work um, at least in the same way that I always have done I think it's different if the creator starts off as someone who you might personally admire and who is then tainted by actions outside of the work. So that is why my attitude to Joss Whedon, for instance, is quite different. That's the end of this episode. As I say, the Midnight Mass episode, which will again be myself and Stella and Ian, will be coming up in the near future but next week I will be joined by the wonderful Kirsty Warrow film tutor and writer to discuss one of her favourites The Cabinet of Dr Caligari a movie that is more than a hundred years old and still chilling that will be a fascinating discussion especially as it's a movie that I haven't watched for at least 20 years I can't wait to revisit it so do please join us for that alright have a good week folks we'll be back soon bye bye you have been listening to and now the podcast starts produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited presented by Ian Winterton Stella Gaynor and T.D. Velasquez special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music, and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details or visit our Facebook pages at AndNowPod or at LeeCushingPod. Follow us on Twitter at AndNowPodcast or at LeeCushingPodcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash AndNowPodcast. And now the podcast stops.